Anthony Sitko from Capes on the Couch, a show that examines the mental health issues of comic book characters, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other stupendously geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 265 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we walk through the decision to add a video element to your podcast or not. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we discuss YouTube's version of podcasting, at least their most recent version. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we have some follow-ups to recent episodes, as well as a podcaster with an editing conundrum. Lauren, start the show now. This is Better Podcasting. We are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Welcome to episode 265 of Better Podcasting. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the fantastic, the super podcaster, SP. Yeah, and also the turkey cooker this weekend. Yes, it is American Thanksgiving. We were recording this before Thanksgiving. You will get the produced version after Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a safe weekend and a good start to your unofficial start to the holiday season, 2022. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to my American listeners and friends and everybody listening to this who wants to celebrate American Thanksgiving. And I guess, happy belated Thanksgiving to you, Stephen. Ah, well, thank you. Yes, us Canadians have it back in October because we're just, we're crazy that way. We're insane. We're we're nuts. We're kooky, kooky Canadians. You have nuts on Thanksgiving? (laughs) All right, we got a fun episode today. It's all about the question to video podcast or audio podcast. That is the question. Today, we're excited to finally talk about something that has been an ongoing ask for us, even since before we took the hiatus of better podcasting. And it's all about revisiting the concept of video in relation to your podcast using the idea of modern content creation times. As you know, here on Better Podcasting, we've always had a video companion for this show, and we made that decision early in our discussions about better better podcasting for a variety of reasons. And part of it was just for us to continue our fun in content creationists as hobby podcasters, more than just the audio only shows that we had been doing at the time. Over the course of better podcasting history, we have talked a bit about video podcasting before, or the concept of having video accompanying your podcast. We'll come back to that in a second. But with current updated tools that are available, we do feel that things have really gotten a lot easier since some of these prior conversations. And it becomes almost, almost a bit of a question about your personal preference now when it comes to video podcasting, at least compared to what sort of factors played into it when we first started creating better podcasting. Back then, there was a lot more technical limitations and considerations involved than there are with the tools that are now available if you're trying to do video to accompany your podcast. Now, to be clear, we're not saying that there is no technical limitations as far as it goes if you are going to think about doing video for your podcast. But what we're saying is that there are some really easy ways now to do video to the point that podcasters who produce audio-only shows 
may still want to consider using some form of video-based service during the recording session of their podcast if they are creating it with others that are not in person with them. That's just because there are really a huge amount of benefits when it comes to recording a podcast while you can still see your co-host. For example, you can see the visual cues when somebody wants to speak. You can see when somebody can't speak, maybe they've stepped away for a second, they're taking a drink of water, or any of these other things that might get in the way of them being able to speak at that point. You can also read their body language when you're recording. For example, if somebody says something and someone else reacts a certain way physically, they might be a little shocked with what that person has said, and it might give an opportunity to throw the mic over their direction for a reaction something that you can't see if you're doing audio only during your recording. In fact, you might say that if you have a video companion while you are recording your podcast, it might even add an extra personal element to your recording session. And since many of the services that people are using if they are wanting to have video while they record have the ability to make a final product, it's getting easier to offer a video companion to your podcast as well. So that begs the question, what is the definition of a podcast? One definition that we've heard used in a variety of podcasting spaces is, quote, any audio, video, and PDF content delivered by an RSS 2.0 feed and where said feed is listed in Apple Podcasts, unquote. Both of us are of the opinion that a podcast is not to be defined by the creators of the product, but instead, it's going to be defined by what the general public calls it. And even though that definition that I just quoted is technically correct, as far as the current established standards are in podcasting, we both feel that people who ignore what the general public define as a podcast are generally out of touch with modern podcast trends. For example, People often talk about watching a TV show, and perhaps they are referring to watching some form of miniseries content that is exclusively distributed on a streaming service such as Disney Plus that they are consuming on their phone. Is a show really considered a TV show in the sense that it's not on a traditional TV-based distribution model? Heck, in this particular case, the end user isn't even using a television to watch this. They're using their phone. And that is completely ignoring the discussion about whether said miniseries is more in line with a TV show or a series of short movies or a special or whatever. So that's one definition or one example. Let's talk about another example. What about those people that say they're going to see a film? What they mean when they're going to say that they're going to go watch a movie, which was entirely digitally recorded, edited, and distributed, there's no film involved. It's all digital. It's not film. It's a movie, right? All this to say that our take is that the term podcast is still finding its way in mainstream society. And so it might evolve with time. So if you want to do video, we would encourage you to do it. Lean into it. Don't fight it. It won't do any good to fight it. You can do a podcast that's video in current lexicon. But let's back up here a second and get back to the audio only. Why would you do an audio only show? Let's start with the most obvious. 
you just don't want people to see you. That's totally okay. I mean, I've got a face for radio and Stephen definitely does. Some people prefer not to have their video online for a variety of reasons. They might have privacy concerns. They might be self-conscious. They might not want to open themselves up to another area that trolls can act on. Yep, some people, that's, they're just going to be rude on anything. And if you've been on YouTube at all, you've seen some pretty nasty comments on some videos. You might feel that focusing on an audio-only perspective helps ensure you are putting audio-only at the forefront. For example, you might find it easier to heavily edit your podcast focusing on the audio-only, if that's what you want to do, because when you're editing video, you have to do a jump cut or insert B-roll or do some sort of crossfade or blend in order to do that edit on the video, Whereas with audio, you literally cut and paste the audio around or delete some audio in the middle so that it just flows naturally. It's a lot easier on the editing. And of course, we should mention right now the traditional medium for a podcast by current industry definitions is an audio show, as I explained above. So if you want to be a podcaster, that is really your audio show. But on the flip side, why would you want to do a video show? Well, as we mentioned earlier, there are some benefits to the actual recording process, but a lot of these same benefits translate over to people who are consuming your content through a video medium. For example, those visual cues that we mentioned earlier, the people who are watching your show through video because they're watching it, they're going to see these visual indicators and look at sort of an extra sense on some of the feelings you might be having as you're discussing certain things. But video can also be an extra way to reach people. For example, some folks prefer to watch video content, and they don't really listen to a lot of audio podcasts. By having video as well, you can tap into that market. Video also provides a better way for your audience to kind of get to know who you are. This is adding an extra dimension for them to get to know you which sometimes can help them learn more things about your personality through this video companion. For example, audio listeners, they have no idea that I'm constantly making over-the-top gestures as we go through different points of topics on Better Podcasting, and they also have no idea that SP, every episode, wears the classic I'm with stupid t-shirt with the arrow pointing to my frame. Audio-only listeners have no idea about this, but the video folks, they get to see our personalities and see that I'm just a wacky guy flailing his hands around, and SP is just telling the truth. But video recording can also be sometimes more fun for people. Believe it or not, there are some people who actually get greater enjoyment by having a video companion to their show. Of course, this is an area that is very, very subjective to each person's individual personality. In fact, you'll find lots of conflicting thoughts all in the creator community to do with this. For every person that you find that loves doing a video show, you'll probably find people who equally hate the idea. In fact, some people are so self-conscious that they even have troubles hearing their own voice back when they're editing their audio podcast. They can't even imagine the idea about having themselves recorded on video. Just take a minute to think a little bit about all those people that you've known in your lifetime where you've gone to take a photo and they do everything to get out of the room. They run away. They're like, I, no photos happening of me. 
But then think about the flip side. You got the people who are jumping in front of the lens in order to harness and channel their inner Madonna and strike a pose. But I digress because let's be honest, I love Madonna. Uh, We just didn't want to ignore the people who do genuinely enjoy creating a video product. For me, I actually get a much bigger kick out of having video companions to my show than having strictly audio only for a variety of different reasons, none of which is my face being on the internet. Nobody wants to see that. No, I definitely don't. But putting all those considerations aside, there are some considerations that we think you should have when it comes to doing a video show. And several of these are going to come down to your own personal thoughts or preferences, as we dare say. The ability to be patient is one, which takes us to addressing the elephant in the room. Video is more work, even from just the recording perspective. If you are recording audio only, no one is going to see you. But with video, somebody is going to see you, even if it's just your co-host. This means putting more effort into your appearance and visual before you record. I've got to tell you, you know, styling this beard takes a good hour and a half before we record every time. This point becomes especially important if your final product will have the video going out to the public. You need to ask yourself, what opinion do you want your viewer to have about you? Are you okay with them seeing that mess behind you? Or do you want something to cover that up? Do you want it to be well lit? Or are you okay with looking like you're recording in an underground bunker? Maybe you're doing a conspiracy podcast and that just fits the motif. (laughs) But also, how much do you want to reveal about your personal life? This might mean recording in an area where family won't get into view, including things like photos and other personally identifiable things like college diplomas or other things like that. Consider video is more expensive. This is another big thing. Generally, video is more expensive. For example, you'll need at least some form of a decent camera. So that's extra piece of equipment right there. And cameras are expensive for streaming or recording. It's asked on the R podcasting subreddit all the time. What's a good camera that I can use for a video podcast? And I tell them every single time, the best camera that you have to start out with is your phone. Use some sort of NDI, like Video Ninja or something like that on your computer to bring that stream in. That's your starting camera. It's the best one. You already have it because if you don't, you're going to spend at least $1,000 on a camera to stream everything. But it's more than just the camera. There's other things that you're going to want to do that is going to add to that video quality. You're talking things like lighting, backgrounds, visual enhancements, such as funky decor. People actually set, make sets for their video podcasts. Branded material, such as a mic flag. It's going to be extra. If I was just doing an audio quality, I wouldn't have this mic flag. And then possibly even choosing different audio equipment to help find a balance between audio and video quality. I have prioritized audio the entire time. So I'm okay with a big honking mic right in front of me. But I hear all the time people wanting to have their mic out of the shot. So you're talking about a shotgun microphone or a condenser microphone or some sort of advanced lavalier microphone setup that might not be a as good of quality as a dynamic broadcast microphone. 
but that's okay. That's their personal preference. It might also cost you more from an ongoing storage perspective. So after the recording or it, during the recording, you've got to store the recording, but afterwards, you're going to need more disk space to work with the video. Video takes up a lot more hard drive space. The finished 4K product for Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is usually somewhere between 8 and 12 gigabytes. And a finished audio is what, 50 megabytes for a MP3 file or something like that? That's a big difference in the file storage amount. This is going to add up, especially fast, if you plan to retain your video content long term for archival purposes. And then you're going to need a better computer or a computing device for editing video. It's just a lot more resource intensive than strictly audio. You're talking about a faster processor. You're talking about more RAM. And it doesn't matter really if you're talking about a Mac or a PC. Heck, even an iPad, you need to have a higher level to do extensive video elements than you would if you're just doing audio. Is there going to be an extra cost to record this video? Is this something you're going to need to pay for? For example, a basic StreamYard subscription might work for you if you're just doing a session recording for audio, but you might need to increase that subscription depending on your final video production goals. That brings up another personal question. Do you care about higher quality video, such as the aforementioned 4K? Or are you somebody who's fine with just 720? Some people are personally really passionate about 4K video, and believe it or not, 8K is coming soon, too. And that's going to increase several of the costs that we just mentioned, 4 or 8K. And also, you may even need to pay more for your hosting, depending on your distribution method. And we're going to come back to this later. And how do all of these answers to these questions align with the answers with your co-hosts? If somebody can't do video. How can you make that work? For a long time on the Guinea Geek show, we had one person, a co-host, who didn't have video capabilities. So Stephen had to put a static photo of them up as we were streaming. It was a little awkward, but we made it work. Moving on, as you may have heard us say before, we do stream this show live when we record better podcasting. So we'd be remiss if we didn't make that jump over to talk about live streaming and how that relates to video. This is because our current opinion is that Live streaming tends to trend towards involving video, for example, YouTube Live and Twitch. The reality is that while there are some live streaming audio platforms out there, it seems like a lot of folks who are looking to check out just live stream content are preferring to check out things like video on YouTube Live and, and Twitch. Not to say, you know, not str live streams like music and whatnot. But the, as far as like what a podcast usually would be, normally people are looking more for that sort of content through video rather than audio. So if you do edit your podcast, which we do encourage you to do, live streaming offers an extra way for your audience to get to know you. They get to see the raw and unedited version of you. For example, all those mistakes you're going to make while you're recording your podcast. This is an element that they don't get to see when you are hosting your edited, cleaned up version. We actually have a lot of people over the years who have commented on Better Podcasting, enjoying seeing us record the session and see how the sausage is made. Of course, your mileage may vary as far as whether or not people are going to check out your live audience and even want to see that content. 
Now, with all of that said, if you are going to live stream, how are you going to produce that live video if you're going to go the live video route? Is this something that you're going to use that's going to make the magic happen like StreamYard? Or is this something that you're going to want to be a little more technically abled and you're going to want to get your hands on everything and use something like OBS or XSplit? Because personally, that's the route I like to go. I love having my hands on everything. I enjoy making sure that I have full control as we're producing the video show of Better Podcasting and the Gunna Geek Show. So I go the complicated route, but to each their own. There's a lot of people out there who probably hate that idea and they just want something that'll make it work for them. Okay, so let's take a moment here to pause and say you've decided that you are going to do a video show in some capacity for your podcast. But you're also going to release the traditional audio podcast. You have to dig deep into your soul and decide which of these are you going to prioritize. Because really, you can't make both of these equal priority. This is something that we've mentioned a few times on Better Podcasting before that, yes, you can put out two good quality products, but you really kind of have to prioritize one over the other. For example, on this show, we've decided that we are prioritizing the audio consumer. That's because we do feel that largely talking to people who are making podcasts are probably going to be focused, the majority of them, on audio-only podcasts. So really, this is something that the likelihood is that we're going to have more of a listener base that are listening to it through audio. So we decided that we want to really make sure they get the best of the two products. This is something where there's going to be a little bit of push and pull when it comes to making the decisions as you're producing your podcast. Here's our example of one of the things we do for this show. We tend to explain everything by words, considering that audio priority, even if there happens to be a visual on screen at that time. Now, first, you might be thinking, okay, well, how, how does that negatively impact the video consumer? Well, if there's something that they can see on screen, and now we are going and we're also explaining it on the microphone through audio. This is sort of doubling up that information for them. But if we didn't do that, then the audio listener won't see that visual and they will be completely lost at what we're talking about. So that's where we've prioritized having the audio listener get the better experience in that scenario. Let's talk about distribution for a second. So if you're distributing audio content for podcasts, you're probably going to want to check out places like Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, TuneIn, and the list goes on and on. If you want a full list, you can hit me up later. With video, YouTube is really the main one. There's not like a list of places to distribute video to. Yeah, there's Patreon services that can come into play. Patreon can host videos, but they can also host YouTube videos. And then there's also a direct video download. Yes, this is definitely still possible. And there are people who do create RSS feeds to distribute a video show via direct download. And honestly, though, as a hobby podcaster, we'd suggest scratching this one. How many people are really going to download the whole video file to watch later, especially with YouTube available? 
they're probably more likely to click a YouTube link or maybe even a TikTok short video. Another video consideration you may have is discoverability. SEO, search engine optimization. On YouTube, a static image YouTube video is not really going to do all that great. It's better than nothing in the SEO realm. You'll still work off your title and your description and your hashtags in your description, but it doesn't really break into that YouTube algorithm very well. It's not like you're going to grow your channel with a static image. You're simply entering into the YouTube search engine, which is part of the Google search engine. That's all you're doing with that. And you might think it's doing probably more than it is. It is doing something, but it's not going to grow your channel like Joe Rogan's channel or anything like that. What if I stay really still on my video? Is that the same thing as a static image? You know what? There's probably, I haven't even looked at this, but there's probably this whole subset of videos of people that are trying just to stay still and maybe talk like ventriloquists or something like that. I bet you there are YouTube videos like that. Anyway, there's one last thing that we really feel we need to end on. And this really ties into your personal experience and skill set from a technical perspective. Do you personally have the skills to do video editing? We mentioned this at this point because video and audio editing can be very similar. However, a lot of hobby podcasters who don't have a lot of technical skills are gravitating towards newer style editors that make the process a lot easier. The reality is that to do a show that focuses on balancing both audio and video quality, you're likely going to use a more complicated editor or you are looking to edit your video show separately from your audio show. Now, whichever approach you finally take, you're likely stuck with a more complicated editing process than the options that might be available to you doing an audio-only show or a simple DAW. Even though it's possible to use just one editor for your video and audio, for example, Stephen only uses one editor, it's still a more complicated editing workflow overall. And this is just generally speaking, I know there's some exceptions to that. For those who are just learning how to edit, it might be too much of a tall task as you're just starting out. So just starting out, audio editing is way simpler than video editing. For example, I've been video editing for how long? I don't know, four years now. I still have yet to explore color correcting. So with all of that said, we would encourage you to look at your history today. What experiences do you have? What experiences do you want to have in the future? Ask yourself, which one of these situations is going to be more fun? Having audio only or having a video companion as well? And it's okay if you change that decision as you go along. We've both actually done that with a run of a show before where we've changed from being one to the other. So overall, consider this is your choice to make based off of your experiences, what you want to do with your show and what you think would be most beneficial to your podcast for the consumers. There's pros and cons to both. Which one's going to keep you having more fun in the long term? And also ask yourself, what do you think about the idea of a video companion to a podcast? And you should think about that because then you can tell us all about it by coming over to betterpodcasting.com slash discord or sending us an email to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. 
We'd love to know what your thoughts are about this sort of thing, which we had several people actually comment about the idea of having video for their podcast. SP, why don't you sum up some of what the people said to us ahead of recording this episode? Member Gog Prodman in our Discord server, who's Jamie Taylor, who is on episode 14 of Better Podcasting Chats with SP, said, I have a static image for the audio. My decision was ease of creation. As Lipson, the podcast host for the only show of mine, which posts to YouTube, does it for me. There aren't a great deal of people in that show's audience on YouTube, so there's no point in me putting more effort into it. And the question is, is, is that because the show that, that he's got, or is it the, the case that because it's a static image, it's not reaching a lot of people? That's the question, and, and you don't really know for sure which it would be. And there are some shows. There are some shows that just aren't meant for a video audience, and, and you can't really grow it even if you got a full video companion. Don't know what the answer is to that. We also had Damien the DM say, nope, no video other than the weekly video gaming stream. The idea of video has crossed my mind, but we don't have a specific space that would lend well to being set up for it. I'd also be the person who wants to go all in and would need something like five plus cameras to get all the views I'd wanted. I also would not edit the video ever and I'm not sure my players would be down for it. So I, these are the, the things about uh, the decisions you have to make for your own personality, where Damien's saying that he would have to have the five cameras. Some people, they're like, you know what? One camera covering the room, I'm good. I also like the fact that he brings up he would not ever edit the video. If your primary focus is audio, for instance, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., the primary focus of that show is audio, why should I put effort into the video if the downloads are exponentially more on the audio side than the video watchers? So I understand what he's saying there. Anthony on Capes on the Couch podcast, also on the GunnaGeek.com network, said, we occasionally live stream and we'll get back to that more regularly soon hopefully on the geeks.live site, but that's it. Otherwise, our episodes just auto-release to YouTube with a static image. We also had Waffles from Play Comics say, I've streamed me editing episodes, a few gameplay things, but nothing consistent. I should change that, but they would all be bonus content type stuff. This is an interesting thought. This is a different sort of video companion to your show. This is not the podcast in video form. This is extra video content, which is definitely consideration. And I've seen a lot of people do that sort of thing, especially if they're monetizing. I have seen that, but I question the utility of it, especially if you have a smaller audience. You know, both you and I have live streamed our editing sessions mm -hmm. in the past. We haven't done it recently, but we've done it in the past. So I question whether it's valuable or not. I mean, if you want to try it for a few times and see if people show up and maybe it needs to be more than a couple of times, maybe you need to build a pattern of behavior over like two or three months. And if you don't have anything going on after like that period of time, I don't know if I would put any more effort into it. That's just me. We also had Yako from Yako.org. He's Jeremy from the Transmissions podcast. He said, we started with a separate video segment plus accompanying audio and the static image. Now we are full video. 
We had just been getting requests on our YouTube channel for that, and it's been a good change, but so much more work. I can't disagree. It is a lot more work. I mean, even just doing the video and then throwing an unedited version up, as we discussed before, it's more work than just the audio. Over on Mastodon, we had an interesting response to somebody uh, named Shrikant who said, quote, the audience for audio is more involved and dare I say it, likely to be more loyal in the long term. The audience for video is more fleeting and more likely to be through accidental discovery. As a result, you have to also cater to them very differently by designing your content very differently. Audio is a corner shop owner welcoming regular customers. Video is a huge mall where there is rarely any pattern to footfalls. End quote. I thought this was an interesting idea because it, it is sort of true with our experiences that we've seen with just the live streaming aspect alone where, you know, the random folks that have sort of stumbled on into those, those video streams, they, they don't often come back, but then we do regularly have audio listeners who do stumble across our show through another way. And then we see a lot of the same names reach out to us through the course of several episodes. So I can see where they're coming from, but I guess it also, I'll say the typical, your mileage may vary. Uh, well, it's interesting what they are bringing up here is that you need to design your content very differently. I'll bring a couple examples up to speed here. First of all is Bandrew's podcast. Bandrew says podcast. He produces the audio differently than the video now. With the audio version, there's a bunch of audio bumps and uh, just different things in there from an audio perspective. And he's buying into the YouTube algorithm of let's just get to the content right away. So there's no intro in there at all. And that content has been designed differently. And another way to produce video content is actually bringing in like video elements, like words that are popping up on the screen or B-roll that's playing as you're going on. And yes, you can do all of this in OBS or XSplit, but really the bulk of these effects are done in post. So I don't necessarily know if you could do that all live. And then you're bringing into the element of a heavily produced video show, which then is way more work, way, way more work. Now, if you love doing that, Stephen, like you do, you love doing that and you have time to do it. I have no problems with you doing that. I'm just pointing out that it is a lot more work to do that. So when they bring up differently designed content, that could be significantly different levels of work to throw in there. And I would also go as far as to say that that second example that you have of, of putting all this extra video elements in there, I think now, now you are possibly getting to where the definition of what a consumer is calling a podcast might change. It, it might be now that um, something like that, that is more traditional video wise, a consumer might not see that as a podcast. They might see that as, as watching a YouTube video or, or, you know, checking out a video content, something. In, in some other definition. I'm not sure. Yeah. Instagram reel or a TikTok or something. Yeah. 
And lastly, in our live chat today, we did have Gregory say, I had an audio only podcast, but I used to record it while video chatting with my friend in a different country. It made things smoother because we were able to see each other. So there's a great example of those those video benefits that we mentioned early on in the episode today that you get by even just recording through video. So again, we'd love to know your thoughts. Please get in touch with us through any of the ways. Head on over to betterpodcasting.com to find our contact information and come to our Discord. You know you want to be there. And hey, while you're there, you can go ahead and tell us a little bit of your thoughts about building a podcast out of a community. Ooh, that's what we're going to talk about next week. This is the Better Podcasting Download. This past week, YouTube actually posted not a video, but a 67-page guide for podcasting on YouTube. They broke it up. It's almost slides or interactive slides where you can click on something and it'll bring you there. But it's made into three different categories of content strategy, channel strategy, and content creation. And then there's different topics within those. There's four topics within content strategy. There's four contact, four topics within content creation, and two topics within channel strategy. And I think the biggest thing that's coming out of all of this is actually one of the channel strategies. And that is if you are publishing a podcast to a channel, whether that channel is only the podcast or whether you're integrating it with other content, make sure that you use a playlist to designate all of your podcasts into a singular playlist from front to back. That is the biggest single thing that they say in all of these 67 pages. Now, there's other things on there like monetization and how to promote and stuff like that. But the biggest thing is just to make sure it's there, it's available, and it's discoverable through using this list. And yeah, that's something that we've been doing for quite some time, Stephen. Absolutely. And this is something that you can go to betterpodcasting.com and get the link to this this whole 133,000 pages that's in this that, that you can read through. But why I find this whole thing fascinating is this actually plays very much into the whole purpose of today's topic and the idea of the definition of podcast and the way users are are using that term being fluid because YouTube is now recognizing that there is quote podcasting on YouTube. I would love to know when they as a video platform decided that they were going to put all of this effort into making this guide for podcasting on YouTube. Are they really referring to the people who have audio shows with a static image? Or are they referring to the people who are creating what podcasters would, many traditionalists would say, is not a podcast? I would say they're probably targeting the latter, given what YouTube is. YouTube is a video platform. I think they're probably leaning into that. And so this is this is what they're saying. In fact, I know there were some sections in there that talk about the idea of audio versus video, and they kind of touch on to this a little bit there. But I just find that really interesting that they've come out with this. And I think it it does show that the term podcasting is evolving. We've also seen Google, because YouTube is a Google property, right? 
or Alphabet. I believe the, the umbrella company is Alphabet, it but is. it's right in there with Google. We've seen Google come up with stuff and then just abandon it, right? So recently with podcasting, there was the whole uh, play music or whatever it was that we were forced to use for a little while before they came up with Google Podcasts. And I actually question whether Google Podcasts itself is going to last for a while. It's a lot more usable than anything else has been to date. And I have limitations on my bandwidth and sites at work. Google does not allow or Chrome or the internet at my work does not allow streaming YouTube videos during the day. But you can go to Spotify or Google podcasts and you can actually stream the podcast. So it's very interesting what work when they're trying to limit bandwidth comes up with as far as trying to designate what's available and what's not available. And for the simple fact that video is more data that's streaming through, that is still a consideration today for big business or corporations or organizations within the United States that has good internet. It's not like I live in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, you might debate that, but <laughs> we, we generally have good internet where I'm at. So I thought that was very unique. So the two things of Google can abandon stuff or Alphabet can abandon stuff. And then they're using multiple ways to produce the same content. For sure. Well, we'd love to know your thoughts and get in touch with us through any of the ways that we mentioned earlier, which betterpodcasting.com slash discord would be one of the places we would really love to see you at. Let's go ahead and move on to the better pod back. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. This first comment that I wanted to talk about today is one that I'm dubbing a mixed bag of audio recordings. And this is Anthony from Capes in the Couch podcast, Capes on the Couch podcast. I've had it noted to myself by myself that sometimes it sounds like I'm saying in. Uh, so it's Anthony from Capes on the Couch Podcast, and he says, quote, editing question for folks. If you have two hosts with locally recorded audio and a guest who didn't, so you have their audio recorded through Google Meet, Zoom, Skype, etc. How do you edit? Do you use the video stream audio or do you make your life needlessly more difficult and cut back and forth between the crisp local audio and the lower quality stream audio? asking for my stress level, end quote. So this is a really interesting conundrum and the one that we mentioned in the intro because we've both had this. SB and I have both had this before. And, and I can say that we've handled it in different ways before. This is something that I've had situations where I've just been like, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth my time. And I'm going to just use the lower quality audio for everything. Now, there are other times where I go, no, I'm going to go back and forth either because it's super high priority that I get higher quality or there are other elements where I think it's going to to come into play. And what I mean by that is that if I have an episode where there is a lot of overspeak back and forth by the people with local recorded audio, I will likely lean towards the bigger stress level because I can take that out. I can manipulate that. But on the flip side, if there's a lot of overspeak happening with that person, 
Well, you've only got one source of their audio and it involves that overspeak. You cannot remove that overspeak because you only have it in that one recording. I might be tended to leave it and, and go only with that because I can't remove it anyways. So might as well just make my life a little bit easier. And I'm going to have to use that lower quality at that point anyways, which creates a whole bunch of other issues from the editing perspective. Because let's say that SP is going to be interrupting me in a recording and that's on one recording, but I've got his local recording. Where am I going to make that splice? Am I going to suddenly have his local audio, which is crisp and clear, turn into the mixed audio, which is lower quality? Or am I going to back it up a sentence? How is this all going to play out? So it really just depends on the situation. But if it's a really, really, really good guest, I, I might go through the stress so the rest of the episode is of higher caliber. Can I say what I said in the Discord server? Can I say it? Can I say it? You do you. Okay. So my response was, I use a transcript to get everybody's lines of what everybody says. And then I go out and get a voice actor to play the part of the guest. That is how I would hand. Okay. That's a joke, but that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's kind of one way that you could do it. And I think that would be very disingenuous for a guest to go ahead and do it, but I could see actually coming out with that. Uh, Hollywood has done that from time to time with ADR. They get somebody that sounds like the actor Mm -hmm. that they're trying to duplicate and they roll in there. One thing that's becoming more available now, and StreamYard just went into beta with this, and I tried it out last week, was the local audio recording of everybody. So even if it's a lesser quality, you would still have that guest on a separate track. Now I say this, but you're still at the mercy of the internet. You're still at the mercy of the guest's computer or phone or tablet that they're coming into. You're still at the mercy of whether or not you get the entire thing. And that was an issue that we had on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. where we had one of the co-hosts that dropped out miraculously. The entire track was there at the end because it's sequentially uploading. And there was some things that were lost, but they were inconsequential because it was most because Michelle gave me, it was Michelle, my co-host, who dropped out and she gave me her local recording. And it was the typical, oh, crap moments, you know, I, I, I got to get back and, you know, noises and stuff like that. Not that Michelle's very angry or not, but we've all been there when we dropped out of a call in the middle of a live stream podcast recording and you're trying to get back in. With that said, I think that capability is becoming more and more reasonable, whether that's a local recording or whether that's a recording of a separate track on a service. So while I've been cheap in the past, and I will admit it, by not wanting to pay for a service like, I don't know, CleanFeed or Riverside, which I know will get me multiple tracks that come in, I think that the capability is becoming inexpensive enough to be done at a hobbyist level, and it's becoming more and more reliable. Now, am I going to completely rely on it? No, I am still going to have my Rodecaster Pro recording. But there might be a case, and I did have this happen. I don't know if you talked about it on this show or not. We had a case where I ran out of SD card space. So I had to do the last portion of whatever podcast it was using the audio that was recorded through the stream instead of the separate tracked audio. Now, I think it was just me and somebody else, but I was learning how to use the Roadcaster Pro 2. I did not know how much storage was left, and I just let it run out. 
which is basically what happened. So there are pitfalls to doing everything. If you use a hardware recorder, you can forget to press record. You can run out of storage space. You can have it wipe out itself. I mean, we've all heard stories of my H6 ate my recording. My <laughs> Tascam MixCast 4 stopped working in the middle of it. My Rodecaster Pro 2 blanked out in the middle of a recording. We've all heard those. So there's no sure thing out there. And that's why we preach backups all the time. But in this particular case, when you're talking about, hey, I've got great audio, my co-host has great audio, we have a guest, how do I input that in? I'm going more and more towards, if it's something that's relatively inexpensive, I'm going to use that internet multi-track recording capability. And of course, I'm going to have a backup because remember, Anthony's the same one who I believe it was last week talked about implementing his backup solutions. So he's not going to lose the recording. So there is that. But yeah, I, I think we're getting to the point where it's more realizable for a lot of hobby podcasters to get that multi-track recording over the internet. Agreed. Moving on to another topic. We actually had this past weekend. We had Damien the DM say to us, anyone got shows hosted on Podbean? I woke up today to two Pod Podbean hosted shows that I listened to with broken feeds. And there was a bunch of back and forth on this. And the long story short, our community determined that Chris Farrell, who's a member of the Gunna Geek Network with all things good and nerdy, he noticed that all of a sudden that... Um, Somebody noticed that his feed was was not validating properly, and we determined that it was on a very, very old episode. There was something um, to do with an ampersand being used in the description. And this has never caused Chris a problem to date. So our best assumption is that they changed something that that um, affected how the RSS feeds generated that ampersand. I'm getting super techie here, but it ampersands are something that are a problem depending on how that information is being read. And so there's a weird replacement that has to happen in, in um, the way certain things are, are read or replaced if you're using an ampersand in text. And so that shouldn't matter to the consumer. It's probably something that Podbean had in place that, that maybe they made a change and it broke that, that translation sort of thing. That was our best guess. We never heard anything back from Podbean. We put some tweets out there, didn't hear anything. And it seemed like the issues went away. So I think they fixed it. So I'm assuming they changed some code and then, uh oh, fixed it back. That's my best guess. Yeah, I saw it in different spaces as well. And I'm glad it was eventually fixed. And that's just indicative of any podcast media hosting service that is worth anything these days is that they will create problems, but they'll correct those problems within hours. And I think for a hobby podcaster, that's acceptable for a business podcaster who's depending on the revenue from those downloads that are missing during the downtime, I could see are a greater issue. So last week we had that interesting download conversation about Captivate and all podcast media hosts actually. And then Stephen, you had an interesting conversation pop up on Mastodon about it. And actually, it was sent to me as well by Brian Ensminger, I believe is how you say his name. And I apologize if I said that wrong. Anyway, Brian said, I appreciated the conversation about the different ways Libsyn, Captivate, Buzzsprout, etc. approach pricing. 
But did you realize that the Libsyn Terms of Service do include a provision that they can charge more if a show grows to, quote, enterprise level, unquote, whatever that means? And yeah, we didn't touch upon it during our discussion last week, but I am painfully aware of this. I have had friends in the podcasting space that have been pushed out of their media host, whoever it was. I mean, Libsyn was one of them, but I know there's several others because they have grown to the point where then they get put at the enterprise level so that they have to spend more every month on their podcast media hosting. You could argue that it's worth it, but they didn't want to continue to pay a higher level. They wanted to keep at their lower level. So they left and either did self-hosting somewhere or went to another podcast media host that didn't force them to a larger thing. So yes, I know that, but that is just underscoring of the entire conversation that we had last time of it depends on what is important to you on what you want out of your podcast media host. So there is no quote unquote one best podcast media host service out there. It just depends on what you need out of the host. And lastly, we had a couple of messages pop up following up again to the the whole hotkeys slash mouse buttons way of editing your podcast. This has been a good topic that that's been back and forth with a bunch of different things, a bunch of different people, a bunch of different methods in the discord. I've been really liking this conversation that's been going on for weeks now. Uh, we had Damien, the DM say bit of a shuttle update for me. I think I'm going back to the gamepad while I recognize the benefits of the shuttle, which is why I wanted one in the first place. It doesn't really end up fitting for the way I edit my show and how tight I try to keep everything. I do a lot of back and forth in my timeline scrub, and I have realized that I am giving myself some fatigue editing from the constant back and forth motion of the shuttle ring. With the gamepad, I have JKL, the keys for scrubbing, mapped in line that I rest my index, middle, and ring finger on. Quickly scrubbing back and forth is just a matter of changing which finger is pressed down instead of twisting of my hand back and forth. Also, the fact that I keep K, faster scrubbing, mapped right in line on my middle finger instead of having to extend my middle finger out to another row of buttons like I have with the shuttle, just adding more strain from the awkward hand position, end quote. Okay, that was a lot for me to read through. It's way above my grade one reading level. However, uh, I needed to make sure that we we got that in there because this is very technical. And any, anybody who's looked at the shuttle after our previous conversation probably understands what that meant. We did have a few people comment about looking at the shuttle. So um, I wanted to read that in its entirety because this is such a valuable piece of feedback that Damien has in regard to editing. And I'm just going to say, I really think that this is an example on how everybody edits differently. And that some people will find something slows down their editing process. It slows it down and it becomes a fatigue, like he's saying. Yeah, I completely understand that. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons that why I was looking at the shuttle. First of all, I originally was looking at it for my right hand, which is where I usually have my mouse. I'm like, I don't want to use that. I want my mouse because I want to go all over the screen. And then Damien piped in a couple of weeks ago and said, no, no, it's it's the left hand. So I'm like, okay, I get that. So you have your left hand on an editing device and then you have a right hand on the mouse. I could see that. However, the way I edit, most of the stuff that I need to do with my left hand, I can easily get to my keyboard like Damien was saying. So 
for me, I always was of that mindset of that's what I'm going to do. However, I will say this entire conversation has been very enlightening to me. And I understand how you all are really gushing over using like the stream deck or streaming pads or whatever for your editing for hotkeys and stuff like that. So it's made me reevaluate whether or not that really would or would not work for me. I mean, it's something that I've just discounted because I'm old. I'm AARP age. Don't teach this old dog new tricks sort of thing, right? But if it's going to make my life easier, I at least need to look into it. And if I can find, we were just talking about don't do editing podcasts or streams because nobody's going to watch them. I might find one that's looking at, that has a camera that, then they do. I've seen streams like that where they have cameras on the different devices as they're editing so I can see how the workflow actually works. So I need to find that. And maybe Damien will do that. I don't know. So we'll see. Um, also, we've been talking about the mouse thing. And Anthony from Capes on the Couch also posted, inspired by SP and the G604, which is the mouse that both Stephen and I are using right now, I added several functions to my G602 mouse buttons for audio audition editing, excuse me. I've used a few hotkey functions on my G19 keyboard, but to add them to the mouse will be super helpful. Hopefully this cuts down on the editing time even more, having to switch between the mouse and the keyboard, which can be tedious at times, which is why I completely stopped my editing a couple of weeks ago and said, this is taking too much time. I need to make this better. And I got the mouse. So it's interesting that more and more people in the Better Podcasting community are at least trying different things to make their workflow faster. All right. I'm so glad that you mentioned the Stream Deck idea before getting to this, because my response to that is that I am giving up on using the Stream Deck in replacement for the hotkeys that I previously were using on my keyboard. This is something that I had a keyboard that had a row of hotkeys on the left side, and I really wanted to try using a Stream Deck to replace those hotkeys because I got a different keyboard. I am going to move on officially to using the mouse, the G604, to try to replace those hotkeys. I'm not sure how it's going to go because I am somebody that has no problems using certain key commands for editing on a keyboard. That's just natural for me. I have no problem with that. So my left hand is already on a, on a keyboard all the time for that. So that row of hotkeys on the left side was natural. The mouse, I'm going to be working my thumb now to push those those buttons, which is different than I'm used to. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's not foreign territory for me to be using a, a key button press because I use a keyboard. It is for me to use those thumb buttons because I don't do it on a day-to-day basis, but it is a lot easier for a tactile experience for me to use those, which I think is going to be more in line with the hotkeys I was used to. So I'm going to try to program those buttons on my G604 mouse as a replacement for the ones that I previously had on my keyboard and give that a solid go. I'm still going to use the Stream Deck for certain more complicated things that are are less frequent, things where it's worth taking the time to look up to the Stream Deck and push the button and go, okay, yes, this is going to save me time, as opposed to the hotkey slash buttons option, which are just something, things that are being done all the time. And I'll report back how I find about that. But I really miss my hotkeys. And um, it's just a very different experience using the Stream Deck compared to my years of using hotkeys on a keyboard. 
Yeah, we continue to want to hear about how you as a listener are evolving your editing process. I know I shared my hotkeys or the button programming on the Discord server. I know Damien shared his programming of his devices on the Discord server. If you have made modifications or programmed buttons on your devices for editing, please share them in there. And I will go so far as to say, if you've programmed like a stream deck on different scenes for streaming or something like that, and you want to share it in the Discord server, please do that as well. And for the audio listener, Stephen is going nuts right now, pushing buttons, making the different scenes go fast back and forth and probably giving future SP a seizure watching it. So thanks to everybody who checked out this episode. We hope you come back for next week's episode. And hey, check out the full back catalog at betterpodcasting.com, including Better Podcasting Chats with SP. And if you'd like to take a little bit of a walk down memory lane and timely podcasting discussions at the time, check out Better Podcasting Live Chats, which is also on there. And that will be returning next year when this show is is uh, in between seasons. So check that out at betterpodcasting.com. And hey, actually, you know what? One last question. This is a little ad hoc, ad lib question. Do you want to see the approximate calendar for Better Podcasting's release through the rest of the year? We talked a little bit about it in vague terms when we came back. Do you want to actually see some more specific dates of the current targets? I'd love to know. What's your thoughts on that? Let us know through any of the ways. Yeah, would love to find that out. That would be interesting to know if you want to see the the mapping forward or if you don't care and you're just hanging on week by week. And I want to thank all the listeners for hanging in there and all of our shows. Uh, Better Podcasting Chats with SP. We'll see where that ends up in 2023. If you want to join me for a chat, there is a Calendly link that I can send you. Please just send me an email or a DM somewhere on Discord, on Twitter, whatever. Both Stephen and I are on Mastodon now too. So you can find us over there and go ahead and we'll schedule a time to chat and we'll just see how that goes into 2023. So for episode number 265 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I am on Mastodon, but it's very confusing of how you find me. And I'm SP saying... At some point in time, we'll have to bring Shane Phoenix back. We'll see everybody later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.